What the Actual Fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. We can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we are medical professionals, we are human beings too. We are not afraid to share our deepest, darkest secrets and how many years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So get comfy and join us for a casual combo where you can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. We are so grateful that you're here. So if you enjoyed this podcast and want to connect further, we invite you to follow along on Instagram at what the actual fork pod and subscribe, rate and review our podcast so we can continue to share this message with more and more people. Now let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode of what the actual fork podcast. Sam here solo hosting the intro, but had an amazing guest on. We are missing Jenna, uh, co-host Jenna today. She is enjoying her time on maternity leave with her new little babe. Um, So today's guest is amazing. I'm super excited to share this conversation with you because it is a very relevant topic. Um, it's always relevant. We're going to be talking about movement. And specifically, if you struggle with your relationship with movement, and you can't see me right now, but I'm raising my hand. Yes, I'm a registered dietitian. Yes, I'm a certified intuitive eating counselor and certified personal trainer. And I also have a funky relationship with movement. We all do. We all have our own lived experiences and things that affect our relationship to these different things. And so I was so excited to have this conversation with Abby, someone I met, I was lucky enough to meet in person this fall. Um, So Abby Chan is a registered dietitian. Uh, She is an anti-diet, weight-inclusive dietitian. And I love how her account says she loves bikes, paws, and food. And paws is P-A-W-S. So I did not ask her about her furry pets, but I should have. Um, Abby is also the one of the owners of Evolve Flagstaff, which you'll hear us talk about today on the episode. It is like a multidisciplinary team fitness center that incorporates nutrition and physical therapy and meal prep and performance for performance training and, and all of these amazing things. Um, and so it's just... I feel like Abby is a unicorn in the in the weight inclusive space because of the message that she brings is so refreshing. It's so underspoken about. Like I feel like I don't hear people saying the things that Abby is saying. And so when I got to hear her speak in like live in person, I was captivated by her and I knew that I wanted to bring her on the pod to talk about helping us heal our relationships with movement, reclaiming our relationship from, you know, with movement and and learning to really find joy again, not only in movement, but like in life, truly. So I'm really excited for you to hear this episode. You're definitely going to want to give Abby a follow. Um, Abby's Instagram handle is at Abby, that's A-B-B-Y the rd that's abby the rd and definitely give her follow it connects to all of her other accounts for evolve flagstaff and if you have any fears concerns questions about how to reclaim your relationship with movement and to really make peace with it you're going to really really love this episode and i think it comes at such a um really needed time right now with the new year upon us. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. 
Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. So without further ado, let's get into our episode today with Abby. Abby, thank you so much for joining us today. I have to tell you that before we clicked record, because I was digging through your social media today, I was going through all of all of your stuff, I just got hit with a targeted email from Airbnb being like, here's all the amazing things you can do in Flagstaff. So apparently I'm now coming to Flagstaff. I didn't know this. This is just because I've been searching it so much that now it's like targeting <laughs> me to come visit. I love that. I mean, Flagstaff's pretty amazing. So come on over and visit whenever you want. <laughs> I have never been, so would would be happy to. Remind me, where is Flagstaff? I don't even know. That's how bad I am. That's a great question. It's either, I feel like you either know it or you don't. When, I don't. when I say I'm from Flagstaff, people are like, oh my gosh, I've been there. I love it. It's my favorite. Or people are like, where is this place? Yeah. Um, so it is Northern Arizona. So, um, yeah, so two hours North of Phoenix. Um, and it's most people think of Arizona as desert landscape, which a lot of it is, but mm -hmm. we actually live up in the mountains. So I live up at 7,000 feet. We live in a mountain town. Uh, we get snow, it's cold right now. And yeah, so very different from what most people think of as Arizona. Wait, that's amazing. Okay. Maybe I am coming to Flagstaff because I did just book a trip to Sedona. So how far are you from Sedona? Totally. Like 45 minutes. Amazing. I'll be there in February. I'll send you a message. We'll connect. Um, wait. Okay. So I am coming to Flagstaff. Change You're your conversation. Here we go. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> here we go. Um, well, I'm so excited to have you here today because I, you know, for our listeners to let them know, I was introduced to your work most recently in October at the Weight Inclusive Nutrition and Dietetics Conference, where you, Kara Harbstreet, and John Bridger were um, presenting on reclaiming movement from the anti-diet and anti-oppressive lens. And wow, I my mind was blown um, from a lot of the information that you guys gave. So that's how I was introduced to you. Obviously, you know, from your intro, people know you're a dietitian. We know um, you're in the fitness industry. But if you don't mind giving us a little insight to how you got to where you are today, um, personally and professionally, what led you to doing the work that you're doing right now? Yeah, that's a great question. So I started, I mean, I've kind of been in like the quote unquote fitness industry, air quotes around that. I don't love that term. Um, but I've always been, I grew up as a dancer and a climber and mountain biker and kind of all the things. And um, so I started really in the fitness industry, probably when I was, I mean, I started teaching dance like 15. Um, and so through dance and then Pilates and then yoga and through that, I kind of have actually been teaching for something for, I don't know, I think fit more than 15 years. Now. I don't even know how long it is. And, um, a lot of that too, I was doing while I was doing my undergrad in nutrition to be a dietitian. And, um, as many of us dietitians do, uh, struggle with our own relationship to food and our own relationship to movement and all of these things, especially if we work in kind of this more weight inclusive anti-diet eating disorder space. Um, that was definitely part of my story when I was younger and through high school and early twenties. And there was a period of time to where, um, in my undergrad, there was I think a lot of us dietitians have this friction point, right? Of like, Ooh, a lot of the things you're telling me to do for it under the guise of health are actually the things that I really practiced that made me really unhealthy mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, and so that was really how that internal friction was the first way that I kind of kind of got introduced into a more weight inclusive model. Um, so there was never like one moment, but it was like, Ooh, this feels icky. And then the more I got to dive into it, I was like, Oh yeah, this is icky. Okay, cool. Um, 
And so I really started uh, diving into that once I was actually working. Um, I worked clinically for a few years, actually, in the ICU, so very different from what I do now. Um, but at the time when I was working uh, in the ICU, I was also building my private practice on the side. Um, and my business partner and husband, uh, we met, and he was actually in school to be a physical therapist. And um, I kind of joke that our first date was like a business planning meeting, which it wasn't. That is not our whole relationship. That's a facet of it. Um, but, you know, we had kind of gotten together and I was like, oh my gosh, I really want to do these things. And he's like, so do I. This is so cool. And um, through so much of that, uh, we now have a business called Evolve Like Staff. Um, and it is an integrative clinic that um, integrates physical therapy, nutrition, and training, and performance training, and like gym-based things, all under a weight-inclusive and anti-diet lens, um, which should be the norm, but isn't the norm in the world that we live in. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of how I kind of got to where I am and just more and more diving into the aspects around, you know, the oppressive culture around fitness culture and beauty standards and body standards, the more it was just this big aha of like, all right, this is the place where historically um, I live in a live and exist in a thin body and have a lot of thin privilege, um, but realized of like, oh, okay, this is actually not a place that is welcome for all bodies. And so how can I be an advocate and really stand alongside a lot, a lot of these individuals who are doing a lot of this work? Mm, so good. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. Um, and oh, there's so many ways I want to take this conversation. It's like, I don't even know where to start. But I think, you know, this time of year, it's so prominent. I mean, it's prominent all the time, right? Because there's diet culture. And then I feel like fitness culture is like an extra layer on top of that. How you were like, I don't even want to say the words fitness industry. That's how like, I'm like, I don't even want to say the words health because that like means something so different to everyone, which like, of course, once we, you know, make peace with food, body movement are in this weight inclusive space, like we can reclaim that word health as well as movement and, and all of these things. So we have the holidays, then we have January 1st coming. And this is where we hear all of the new year, new you bullshit. Um, you know, make your new year's resolutions. You should be doing this. You should be eating less. You should be moving more. Like we see these messages, these diet culture messages everywhere. So what I loved about when I first heard you speak is it was so, I don't even know how to explain it. It was so gentle. It was so eloquent, but it was so informative and helpful and challenging at the same time. So how do you invite people into this conversation where they're like, they're maybe in the place where they're saying, I should be doing this. I should be doing more. I should, 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 should. When it comes to movement, how do you help them reclaim movement, like a relationship, a peaceful relationship with movement? Totally. That's a big question. And I think even answering in that first little bit of even when we look at like our, in the United States, our calendar year, right? Like mm -hmm. it is a binge restrict cycle. So if we, if you're familiar with the binge restrict cycle, I know you are. Um, but for those who are listening, it's like, you know, we have a moment where it's more of a binge and then we kind of then feel really guilty feel bad about it that's january 1st or january for a lot of individuals then we go through this huge restriction period and there's ebbs and flows within that but then it kind of restarts again once halloween comes around right so mm -hmm. it's like collectively we have this huge very disordered relationship to and disconnected relationship to our bodies and to food and to movement and really what feels good. And I think one aspect, um, I made a post about this a few weeks ago, um, and it was really about how within an anti-diet lens and within, I think, even intuitive eating, you know, there's a lot of talk around joyful movement and finding joy in food. And I have found that there's actually a big disconnect with that because we as a culture also lack a lot of collective joy because we are so individualistic of like, I'm grinding, I'm doing this. These are my credentials. This is who I am. Um, it's all about me, 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 as opposed to us as a whole. And so I think when we take that individualistic approach, we think that joy is in money and in things and in gifts and in 
all of the materialistic aspects without recognizing of like those actually are not the avenues and pathways for joy. So I think even from a very young age, we are told what joy should be. And then we try to fill up this joy cup with all these things without ever actually experiencing joy. Right. So I think that's a disconnect when we say, you know, eat what brings you joy, move in ways that bring you joy. It's like people don't even know what joy is and what makes them joyful because we're told that it's something that you have to acquire. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And, you know, I don't know if I believe that, that line in the song, but what I will say is that my cozy earth joggers that I'm wearing right now are the most wonderful product in the world. And it's, it's the holiday season. And I've been thinking about, okay, what do I actually want to buy for my loved ones? And I think that luxury PJs, loungewear, athleisure wear, and bed sheets are some of the best things that you can get for loved ones. Because we wear pajamas every single night. We sleep in our beds, hopefully the majority of the nights. Of course, if you travel and do whatever you do, you may not be in your bed every night. But those are products that you use over and over and over. And if you're an OG listener of the pod, you know that Jenna and I are obsessed with Cozy Earth products. So this is a absolutely perfect time to utilize our exclusive offer for you today. It is 35% off the entire site at Cozy Earth. So that's the joggers, that's the PJs, that's their sheets. You do not want to miss out on the best-selling bamboo sheets that are temperature regulated and incredibly soft. So again, 35% off the entire site. Use the code FORK at checkout. That's F-O-R-K for 35% off the entire Cozy Earth site. And let us know what you purchase for your loved ones or just get the gift for yourself. It's the best. I had an experience that I was like, I can't wait to share this with Abby on the podcast. Is I my relationship with movement is still really funky. Like it always has been. And I've talked about it on this podcast because for so long I was moving to burn calories to intentionally shrink my body. Like that was my forever goal again, years ago when I was in diet culture. And it is like just so ingrained in my brain that this is what I need to, that that is what movement is. So I've taken a huge sabbatical from movement, got away from it, gave myself permission to rest. And so finding joy in movement has been this new thing for me over the past few years. And I was at my local YMCA the other day and I was walking to the bathroom and I like see the basketball courts. They're empty. I see some basketballs like floating around. I'm like, I should go get some shots up. Used to play basketball like long, long time ago. And I was like, and then this voice in my head was like, you can't, why would you do that? Like, you don't like, what is that going to do for you? Like, what, why are you going to do that? Like, that's so weird. Like, and then I was like fighting with myself. (laughs) Like, (laughs) mentally. And then I finally, like I went to the bathroom and I came out and I was like, fuck it. I'm going to go shoot some hoops. And I did. And I had so much fun. Like when I tell you that, and it was like something so simple, but like hearing you talk about joy and movement and like all of these things, I think we get so ingrained in like checking things off or like, I need to move my body because it's good for me. Right. I need to move my body because it brings me these things. But when I was shooting hoops and I was just in the gym by myself, like having fun, I was like, this is so much fun. And it like brought a smile to my face and I was like giggling and I was like, this is joyful movement. Um, And so I have no idea why, like, I just feel like the need to share that because of what you said. Um, But that was like really profound with me and for me. And that just happened like within the past few weeks. And so I think that's something I like sharing on this podcast is just because we're dietitians I'm a certified intuitive counselor. I'm a certified personal trainer. And it's still something that I'm constantly learning and growing and evolving and unpacking. Totally. I think it's something that we never get to a place where it's like, okay, I'm done. You know, I'm done. I'm healed. I've healed my relationship to movement. I'm no longer participating in these systems. Like there's never that point. It's kind of like, I like to think that as we are born as like this, uh, 
kind of like clay, right? And every year and everything we do, we get to unpack another layer. And then eventually we get to like, maybe hopefully fully come into this full form of whatever it is that we are and what we're supposed to be. But I think so much of that too, is like, it is so easy, especially in fitness culture and nutrition culture to absorb things, right? It's so easy to quote unquote, learn things, you know, like even scrolling through social media, you can learn quote unquote, a million things or absorb them without even knowing that you're actually embodying them. And the most difficult thing about that is it's actually the really difficult to unlearn things. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really part of this work is how do we unlearn a lot of these harmful narratives and how do we get out of this aspect of doing and doing, doing, doing and hustling, but really just being. So even that basketball analogy, right? Like you were literally internally fighting with yourself of like, I just want to be. And your brain's like, no, we must do. And it's like, no, that is that being of like, we need to come back to think a lot of times, especially with, um, through development, you know, through puberty, whether you are born as female or born as male, there's all of a sudden there's this shift from a hormonal standpoint, but also from how our society views you as all of a sudden you are made to perform and produce, and you're supposed to look a certain way and you're supposed to do a certain thing. And that's, I find too, that's well-documented in research that that is really when our relationship to movement and play shifts from a being and experiencing and just playing, right? to a doing and it being a task and it being a uh, metric based and it being for either accolades, you know, or even our personal value. Um, I think a lot of times teens right now too, there's a lot of pressure on them to be better and be best at their sport. Right. Mm. Um, and I think that that really creates a disconnect in that being aspect. And so, um, yeah, so I think there's a lot that really needs to be unpacked in this whole conversation. Yes. Yes, 100%. And I feel like I keep using myself as an example, but like, again, I have so many clients that we could pull pull from, and I'm sure you as well, when you're helping someone make peace with movement. I know for me, like I had to step away for a long time because it was, it was like that binge, right? Like I would binge on movement. I would, I can't even look at an elliptical anymore without wanting to like, (laughs) I don't even know. Totally. Um, but so I had to step away for a while, but then I found that my body started to crave movement again. And it was so weird for me because it was like, oh, the intention is completely different here. And I see that parallel with food with clients, right? Is when they start to make peace with food, they're consuming more of the foods that diet culture tells them they can't have, or they shouldn't have. And they think they're going to eat these foods forever all day long and only consume those foods. And then they start to say, huh, actually like something crispy and refreshing, like sounds kind of nice. And it's like, wait, I'm allowed to eat a salad and not be on a diet, right? I'm allowed to eat an apple and not be on a diet. And that's what I kind of felt with movement is like, wait, I'm allowed to move my body and not have the intention be intentionally shrinking my body. So I would love if you could just kind of showcase for us, and I pulled this from your your presentation and and your class at the conference of like that common ground with movement, right? Like the the you kind of had it in those three buckets. Like we have health and autonomy; it's a basic human need, and trauma and oppression. And like breaking that down, I think can be so helpful for our listeners. Totally. So I think inherently, even just that analogy too of like we're so in it and we are harming ourselves through it, right? So then it does have to be kind of that pendulum swing to the other side so that we can eventually parse out what feels good for us. Um, And um, I think that's actually even what sparked this whole wind conversation was I was in Austin at the spring uh, wind conference. And I find myself sometimes feeling like when people ask, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm in private practice. This is what I do. And I own a gym, but I have to give these caveats of like, but it's anti-diet and it's from a weight inclusive lens and like feeling this like weight and like kind Mm. of judgment around it in these spaces. And so that was kind of something I was like, wait, what's going on? And then there were other people who through those conversations, kind of backdoor conversations were like, oh, well, um, by the way, like I have actually first started moving intentionally for the first time. And these are health professionals, you know, it's like, again, with that big pendulum swing, but it was kind of these like corner whisper conversations, like, don't tell anyone, but I'm also like doing this and this is really exciting and this is fun. And I was like, okay, 
we are talking about this and this is important. And I think getting to that common ground of first and foremost, we need to understand of, from our health and autonomy is like we owe no one personal health, right? So I think that's what one aspect is, is, you know, it's like there's even that personal responsibility around health and healthism of like, it's your job, it's your fault. It's all these things like you owe your health to no one. And if you are choosing not, if you are not choosing health, that's fine. And that is totally your choice. So I think it's really important to lay that out first. And then also understanding within that of like, all right, if someone is truly wanting to maybe improve metabolic markers, um, have uh, aging that, you know, is restorative and feels good and they're not in pain and that they want to still be, have an autonomous life as they age, it's like, okay, the ways we can do that are through movement. And I think that's one aspect where it's like, when we look at the aging process, we definitely do lose muscle mass as we age. And there's a lot of multifactorial reasons why that happens, but it is an inherent aspect. And so there are things to where it's like, all right, if we want to be mobile and playing with our kids and playing with grandkids and still being able to do what we love, like movement needs to be a part of that for joint health, for muscular health, for all of our systems. Um, and I think it's a really tangible thing that we can do to improve metabolic markers. Granted, I think that either movement is always framed in you need to do it for your health or it's put in the other bucket of you're doing it to change your body. And I think that we need to expand that much more and look at that movement is inherent to life, right? Like when we look at um, even other cultures or how we used to live way back in the day, not to get super like ancestral about it, but it's like, it has always been an aspect, you know, like we would have to go find water. We'd have to go find food. Um, every living being moves, snails move, turtles move, dogs move, you know, it's like babies move and wiggle all the time. And it's also how we experience life, right? It's how we interact with life. Um, and I think that it's really important to look at, okay, if I've had a pretty distraught or disordered relationship to movement, what does that mean for me now? And so I think we need to first and foremost recognize, you know, what are the deep roots and the harm that this whole like fitness industrial complex has created and where does that stem from? And then look at the roots of how diet culture and wellness culture have, and even white supremacy have then started to integrate with that and create this othering of either you're doing like it right or wrong. And it becomes this perfectionist aspect. And that is the, issue when we actually look at reclaiming and liberation from this it's like we need to kind of lay all of this out there and pick out what actually feels true and authentic for us it may be december but mama lives in florida and it was 73 degrees here the other day and i was sweating so needless to say i am extremely grateful year round for my lumi whole body deodorant it was designed by an obgyn to work not only on your pits, but also your feet, privates, and beyond. And of course, like you're wearing deodorant year round, but it's always really hot here in Florida. And I love, I love Lumi for a bunch of different things. One, I definitely love their um, deodorant cream tube. Um, and it's, it just like slides on so nicely. It's great. It doesn't have a really strong scent at all, which I love about it. But my favorite product by Lumi is definitely the deodorant wipes. Because if you're out running around, you're doing things and you just need to freshen up, they are so, so great. So if you're like, hey, this could be a great stocking stuffer for a loved one, because who doesn't love a little self-care um, definitely check out getting Lumi Starter Pack because new customers get $5 off Lumi Starter Pack with our exclusive code. And for a limited time, returning customers can also get $5 off their next purchase of $30 or more. Use code FORK at lumideodorant.com. That is L-U-M-E 
D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com. I feel like I am in a spelling bee right now. I'm a terrible speller, but I'm going to say it again because you never know if I got it wrong. So to get, again, $5 off your Lumi starter pack, or if you're a returning customer, you can get $5 off your next purchase of 30 or more. Use code FORK at checkout, and that's at lumideodorant.com, L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com. As I hear you speak, I'm like, okay, so unpack it for us. Like, can we talk about the roots of harm? But I know that we could be here for like three plus hours. So I don't know if there's a best way that we can give an abbreviated version or just, or maybe it is just exactly what you're doing right now of calling out the systems of oppression that are so prominent in the fitness industry. And I think most people, until you're deep into this journey of working on your relationship with food, body, movement, like don't even have awareness to that yet, right? Because that takes so much unlearning and then relearning and curiosity and and really challenging belief systems. So when it comes to, I guess let's go back, let's go back a little. When it comes to you working with a client one-on-one and they want to reclaim movement, how do you start with educating them? Or is it, you know, it's so individualized per person that I know you're not whipping out a presentation every (laughs) time you're working with someone. So how, what does this process look like? That's a great question. Yeah. So we look at, I always like to ask first and foremost, like why, right? Like what, Mm -hmm. what is your why behind movement? And if it is health or if it is um, even for a lot of people, they come in and it is aesthetic change. Like I'm going to dig in, dive into both of those and ask why. Cause I think so many people are like, Oh, well, I want to do it for health. And I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Inherently in our culture, being healthy also means shrinking your body and looking a certain way. So we need to really unpack what does health mean for you? And most of the time it's actually doesn't really have anything to do with how they look, you know, it is like, I don't want to have pain any or as much pain anymore. Pain is normal. Pain is human. That is an experience that we all exist in. It's not a bad thing, but I think it can be more amplified for some people. Um, and then I think there's a big aspect too around, okay, well, what did you like to do when you were younger? You know, before it became a task, before it became another to do, what were those things that really brought you joy and that you're able to find play and kind of even like this flow state in? And so for me, like one of those aspects is like being outside because that's always been a part of my life and my upbringing and dance. You know, that was a way that I was always able to also express emotions when I didn't have words for them. And so I think we need to look at outside of health, why, what roles do movement play, right? So it plays roles in the sense of like community um, and our support systems, right? And that's also where it comes into a lot of movement spaces and gyms and things like that. They're what we call third spaces. So third spaces are other gathering places outside of the home or outside of work. And these can include sometimes for some people, it's like church or it can include like a book club or things like that. But a lot of times it is these third spaces. And then we need to understand like, all right, what values are these third spaces holding? Right. Um, And then I think what is really important to note is the role that movement plays in um, nervous system regulation and how our bodies somatically interact with the world and the world around us. Mm. Yes. So we need to look at what is your why? And then from that, we need to look at, okay, what would be interesting to you? What would be fun? What would be things that bring you closer to this place of kind of play and joy and all of those types of things and farther away from the, oh, I have to do this. And this is metrics based. And so I love strength training. I think it's really fun. It's interesting. I like the process of it. Some people hate that, but for me, it really had to go from, I can't track things. Like I don't want to track my weights. I don't want to track quote unquote progress. Cause again, progress is eventually going towards that place of perfection. And so we need to look at and understand that every day we wake up in a brand new body and we have to meet it where it's at. Mm. I love that so, so much. And I just, I thank you so much for having 
I want to call them tough conversations. Like you said, when you were at the wind conference back in the spring and recognizing some of the uncomfiness that was going around, around these conversations. And I think you had said this in Denver when we met of how I think there's this misconception in the intuitive eating weight inclusive world that joyful movement has to be gentle movement. It has to be yoga. It has to be walking. It has to be, um, you know, these gentle things. And it's like, no, it goes back to the idea that you just said of like, what brings you joy? What, and, and asking it, I love how you ask it of like how before movement became a chore, before it became something you had to do heavy air quotes or, um, doing for your health air quotes, how did you play when you were younger? Right. Like, and the asking that is going to get such a completely different answer from somebody. Um, and I think it's yeah, so like, important. Totally. Like you probably didn't play an elliptical machine when no shade. If anyone loves the elliptical, I didn't know. I, love this I can for promise you. you that it was the yeah. hamster wheel of my disordered years in college. That's exactly what it was. Totally. And so we need to look back and into how do we find play in this? And I think that's huge too. Of thanks for bringing that up. Of that was one of the big topics around this of like so much. Yeah, we hear that it has to be gentle or it has to be this certain way. And I think there's a aspect to that where it doesn't really fit all of us. You know, some people it may that is perfect and that is great, but there's also times where it's like, if I'm really pissed off. I'm probably going to go throw some weights around and that's going to feel better than me just doing some yoga, right? And there's going to be a time and a place, like I teach yoga. I love yoga. There's so many different things um, and ways and kind of like, I have a whole buffet of things that I enjoy and that can meet my needs for that day, for my energy levels, for my emotional needs and for my community needs and just this whole palette of things that I can choose from that can meet me where I'm at. I love that. And I think of it as like, we use this analogy with food, we're not going to eat the same thing every single day because our body has different needs. We have different cravings, different satisfaction. There's so much that goes into it. And why do we expect that same thing from movement that it's like, oh, I'm just going to do this same workout or this same activity over and over and over again. And that's going to fill up this movement cup when it's like, no. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Like I think of Jenna actually introduced me when we both used to live in Hoboken, New Jersey years ago. She introduced me to boxing and we had so much fun. I was terrible at it, but it was so fun. And you would just like hit the shit out of the bag and release a lot of anger. And now I'm like, wait, maybe I need to find a boxing studio here. That would be glorious. Haven't thought about that. So I love, I love all the ways you're taking this conversation. So so for people who are, are listening to this and they're like, wow, I'm relating a lot to this. And maybe they're at that stage where they have started to heal their relationship with movement from a sense of they're reclaiming it. They're recognizing their intentions used to be for reasons that did not feel aligned with them. Um, they're now wanting to find that joy again, that play again. Um, what do they, what do our listeners need to kind of keep an eye out for as the new year rolls around when it comes to the triggers that are about to come, like how can we best support our listeners during this shift of diet culture, fitness culture, new year? And what are some maybe tools that you might have for them to help keep them safe and moving towards that right direction of reclaiming movement? 
Totally. So I think that's a really great question. Um, and we need to look at, especially if someone has struggled with their relationship to food or their body, which I mean, I would say that's everyone and movement. Mm -hmm. If that has been a big struggle for you in the past, it is kind of murky territory and it's always kind of checking in with ourselves and really, again, asking that why, like, why am I moving today? And if you start to notice those inklings come up of like, Ooh, I'm doing this because I feel like if I don't, then I can't eat this or I can't have that or whatever. Like I can't rest today because, um, I have a lot of things going on tomorrow. You know, I think there's also this scarcity mindset that we talk a lot about around food, but I also find it in people in their relationship to movement as well, especially if they're really busy or if their parents are like, I have to do this now because I may never get this chance again. So I think it's really understanding of like, Hey, movement can meet you wherever you're at. And it doesn't have to be this yes or no type thing. Um, so I think one thing we need to look at is overall, the kind of prevalence of what I'll call exercise addiction. It is not identified yet in the DSM-5. There's not a criteria necessarily for it. Sometimes it's called excessive exercise, sometimes called like a uh, exercise addiction. There's a whole compulsive exercise. This is another term that's used in the literature a lot, but we need to look at the prevalency of it. Like the prevalency of it is pretty significant. And especially in the community that I live in, we live in a mountain town. So there's a lot of elite ultra endurance athletes, whether they're cyclists, whether they're runners. And it's like, okay, if I have someone coming in that I'm going to be working with, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to perk my ears up. Cause almost not quite, but almost 20% of you are going to struggle with some prevalence of exercise addiction. Um, and so, and then we need to look at just kind of going through all of that and looking at like, all right, what is my actual relationship to this? Um, and I think there's a lot of different ways you can intentionally move without it being excessive. Like, I think that's the thing is, again, it's either excessive and disordered or it's this other side of the pendulum to where it is not engaging at all, or it can only be gentle, but then it's like, okay, well, what if I do want to train for a race? What if I do want to, um, you know, be in some sort of competitions, like we can do that, but we need to look at this from a very gentle way. And the key to all of this is flexibility. If you are running into aspects where you are no longer flexible with your schedule, flexible with what is considered enough and flexible with how and when you're finding rest, those are all like big red flags to me. Um, and I think it's important to look at as we're starting and coming into this new year. I think again, January 1st, it's just another day. Um, so not exactly. that big a deal. Um, <laughs> but I think it's really sitting down and sitting down and understanding like, what is my intention, whether it even be behind a goal or a race or something intentional like that, but it's really sitting down, like, what are my personal values around this? Maybe it is, uh, finding more community in whatever, for me, I like to bike a lot. And so maybe it is like finding community in a bike racing world. I used to do a lot of endurance races and they were like team-based. So it's like you'd ride your bike for 24 hours and you would have a team that does it with you. And so there's a lot of aspects around that. There's um, aspects around like, I want this to be something that can be a tool in my mental health. Let me note that first and foremost, exercise is not therapy. And it cannot be the only tool in your toolbox to regulate your nervous system and regulate your mood and your emotions, because that is also tricky territory for what I'll call exercise addiction. Mm -hmm. um, and then we need to look at, too, again, if you are becoming inflexible around that, um, there's big issues with that. And then finding a either like anti-diet trainer or um even a dietitian, not all dietitians work in the spheres that I do, but it's like, this is something that I coach a lot of people on of looking at what are your rest days? What does all of this look like for you in general? Um, so I think it's really looking at first and foremost, is this flexible and is it still flexible that I can possibly still meet a certain intended goal with it? And then that's the main thing that we need to be focusing on. Ooh. hope that answers it. Oh, sure did. And I love how you broke it down. I love how you went there with the middle ground too of like we talked a lot about the pendulum swings but people are allowed to have goals they're allowed to want to challenge themselves they're allowed and i think that's where these messages get so misconstrued on social media because people take something they're going to read it through their own lens based on their own lived experiences their own relationships with these things as a food body movement um 
And so I think that's why when I heard your message along with Kara and John in Denver, it was really groundbreaking and it was really huge in this space because we don't hear the gray area. We don't hear the nuance. We hear the the pendulum swings. And so I just, I thank you for the work that you're doing. I think it's very important. So for those who are listening to our conversation today, I want to offer you the platform one more time. If there's anything you feel like we haven't gotten to that you're like, well, I really want listeners to hear this or walk away with this. What would it be if there is anything? And second to that, just where they can find you to learn more. Where's the best place for them to go? Totally. Yeah. Great question. I think one thing to also get really real with yourself on of like, am I moving? And when we're looking at our relationship to movement, we need to look at, okay, am I moving from a place of shame or authenticity? And not that, again, there's nuance there, right? Nothing Mm -hmm. lives in just two boxes, but it's like shame would be, I have to do this. I want to do this to change my body. I want to do this to fit in. I want to do all these things. That would be more from a place of shame and isolation versus a place of like, how is this adding to my life? And how is this bringing in more community and more play and more experience, more being? So I think that's one thing too, of like really getting real with yourself. What are your values? What are your intentions? Having flexibility around this, um, And then also looking at like the safety around it, right? Like we may not have, I live in a really beautiful bubble in my gym space because I got to create it and (laughs) I get to decide, I get to decide, yeah, I get to decide what happens here, but it's like, do you have a safe space and also safe space in the sense of community? And I would even say too, like not, we can't, say that every space we may say for every single person, but do we have an accountable space, right? We have an accountable space that we can actually experiment with movement, freely play, show up as ourselves. And if not, then it's like, that may not be the best thing or most, most helpful thing for you as you're kind of embarking on reclaiming this for you. And I think it's important too, to have personal boundaries around movement of like, okay, I know that this may be tricky territory for me either abusing this thing or it being a slippery slope and back into diet culture world. So it's really having some check-ins with yourself. Like, what are my boundaries around this? Like, I will not move more than X amount of days, you know, like I will have X amount of rest days around this. I will structure my nutrition to actually meet my needs so that I can do these things. Um, I think that's really huge because one of the big intersections of just overall like reds and relative energy deficiency in sport. We didn't talk about that, but that's okay. But it's like one of the main things, like if we're not eating enough and we're moving a lot, then we're more likely to be anxious or struggle with mental health and depression. And so then that drives us even deeper into this place of restriction and doing more. And so I think that's um, a really big thing to just be really accountable to yourself for. Mm. And having buddies to check in with you. If you're like, Hey, I'm doing this thing. I want to like make sure I'm checking myself. I need some other people to help me out here to just, you know, hold me in this space of being authentic to myself. Like having some of those buddies can be really helpful that they can ask you these questions and have these conversations without it being met with like, you're doing something wrong, you know, where it can be like this really uh, nourished space as well. I love that. I love that. I love yeah. how you brought up the accountable spaces because I think of a lot of the fitness facilities that I've gone to, I feel, and maybe I'm making an excuse from like, all right, I'm just going to like turn, like turn my ears off and not listen to the shit that the trainers say because it's so triggering. But it's like, then I'd end up not going because of that. Right. So it's like, can I find a space where it is, like you said, an accountable space where I can show up as myself, where I can challenge thoughts and things, um, because fitness culture traditionally with the diet culture paired with it can be ruthless. And so it's, it's nice to know you can be in a space, um, that feels accountable. Totally. Yeah. And I think if you're curious about this and if this is sparking interest, if you're like, I want to learn more about the roots of the fitness industrial complex, you know, and where this comes from and where this perfectionism and drive and rigidity comes from. It's like, there's, I can send you a whole resource list. It's one of the ones that I made and shared for with Win that also has a lot of these kind of reflection questions that you can go through and ask yourself. I'm totally open to sharing that. And there's a lot of links in there of 
books, you know, there's Sabrina Strings, Fearing the Black Body, where we come from this place of having this hierarchy of what is a good body versus what is a not as valued body. And then a lot of this work and a lot of what even sparked this conversation was uh, Justice Roe Williams, who is the uh, one of the authors of Deconstructing the Fitness Industrial Complex. Like we could have not made this presentation without these two particular books um, in general and their work and their um, just ability to show up in this space authentically as themselves too. So I think that those are huge. I'll send that resource list. Um, and then I'll also send you over a movement menu too, which is really great that can kind of be that platter or palette for you to choose from of like, how much energy do I have? How much time do I have? What things fit in these places so that movement can actually truly meet me where I'm at today. I think that can be helpful. Um, and then I think it's finding, yeah, people in your area that are also reclaiming this space and trying to move from this more authentic space instead of this rigid place. Um, and if you don't have that in your space or in your community, that's the beauty of social media. You know, we get to kind of curate and create our own worlds in that space. Um, so that's one of the benefits that I love about social media. I know it gets a bad rap, but, um, I love it for that. Um, and if you want to find me on there, you can find me at Abby the RD across all channels. Um, and if you want to connect with me in person, um, our website and gym and all of that, we do do some like remote coaching and remote training in that sense. Um, you can do that at evolveflg.com. We have a few exciting things in the works as well so that remote access to things will be a lot easier. But right now, that's the easiest spot. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Abby. And we'll definitely make sure these resources are available for everyone. And just thank you for the work you're doing. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And just a reminder that again, January 1st is just another day and you don't have to meet the rest of society where it's at. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all of your friends and faves, and don't forget to rate and review and let us know what you want to hear more of. The more we hear from you, the more that we can make these episodes exactly what you want. We would also love to connect with you on Instagram at what the actual fork pod. We promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics, greatest guests, and the most fun you can possibly have fighting diet culture bullshit. We love you. We appreciate you. And we will see you next week for more fun. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 